Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, January 12th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to hit on all four games for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Talk about the NHL, the two divisions that we haven't gotten to yet, the East Division and the West Division, as the regular season starts here on Wednesday night. Then we'll wrap things up with the Sony Open out in Hawaii This week's PGA Tour event, the first full field event here of the 2021 calendar year. Over at ATS.io, I've written up a preview for the Sony Open. You can go check that out. Also written up some stuff on the NHL divisions, taking a look at some of the teams that I think have some value in the division futures betting market. And of course, we're covering all things NFL here for the divisional round. Previews of all four games. My opening line report went up yesterday. We'll be talking about it on today's show and on Thursday's show, probably on Friday's show as well here this week on ATS Radio, so you can get a lot of good insights with that. Still covering college hoops and the NBA over at the website as well. And of course, download the ATS app. It's the best way to view ATS.io because we've got full article integration in the app right there at your fingertips on that smartphone device. And the ATS app is also a bet tracker and an odds screen with odds from several legal U.S. sports books, stats, trends, information, all kinds of helpful handicapping tips and tools for you in that app. A lot of good stuff. Make sure you download the ATS app, either from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, depending on what kind of device you have. Search against the spread to find it, or you can get direct links to download that app if you go through ATS.io, click on the ATS app page, That'll be the best and quickest way, the most efficient way for you to download the ATS app. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. Uh, Lots on the plate, man. Football is going to be exciting this weekend. And uh, let's get the golf cranking. Uh, It was fun watching Kapalua and the NHL. Thank God. Hockey's back. Yeah, there's going to be lots on my plate next time I come out to Vegas with uh, the Baltimore Ravens coming through for me on our little side bet. So some pizza and wings, and uh, I drink expensive beers for what it's worth. So going to be a pricey trip for you, you know, my friend. Uh, you may drink expensive beer. I buy cheap beer. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> You're drinking what I put in front of you. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, you know, I know that we got listeners to my show here, but when I appeared on your sports grid, uh, sportsbook radio show, uh, Stevie Slapshot was on the same side as you as well. So at least you guys can split the bill. So, you know, maybe I can buy my expensive beers if you guys are going to split the bill. Nah, we got you covered. The, the one, the crazy thing about that game, and that, that's what I love about, you know, when you're watching these games, there that play was, the game was won by one play. There was one play that won that game. And that was Tennessee's up 10 nothing. I mean, they are, they were blowing them out and it was three third third and 15 Tennessee gone right down the field third and 15 they flush Jackson out of the pocket he's rolling to his right and they had him contained that he wasn't going to run and he's at the sidelines and he fires one down the sidelines and the tight end comes back and makes a catch and taps his feet and moves the sticks if they'd have gone three and out there I think it would have been 17 nothing the way they had started it's amazing how I mean one play literally saved the Ravens bacon no absolutely and and, you know that's the thing about these playoff games and it's it's something to keep in mind here too is that 
you know, by and large, I know that we've got spreads and obviously we've got, you know, Kansas City, a big double digit favorite here against Cleveland or something like that. But for the most part, and especially here in the division round, all of these teams that are left are really good in some way, shape or form. You know, Cleveland's defense is bad, but the offense is very good. The running game is excellent. And Kansas City has one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. So we'll talk more about that matchup as we go forward here. But that's just it, man. It's it's that one opening. It's that one instance of not getting off the field on third down. It's that one, you know, 15-yard penalty that extends a drive or something like that. And, and we see them happen in real time. And I know people forever and, you know, people that are on the, the analytics side don't believe in momentum. People that are kind of more from the old school frame of thought believe in momentum. But there's always that one play that most of us that are watching, whether we have a bet on the game or not, we sit there and we see that one play and we go, that's a difference maker. That's something that's going to impact what happens throughout the rest of this game. And like you said, that was the one in the Baltimore-Tennessee game. And I'm sure we can point to, you know, a play or two in all of the playoff games that, you know, really stood out. Again, you're much younger than I. Um, but Super Bowl 25, I, I've always said this, and no one even remembers the play, but I was at the game. And it was the Bills or whatever. They were nine-point favorites against the Giants. And the Giants ended up taking 10 minutes off the clock with the opening drive of the third quarter. Just kept the Bills off the field. And everybody remembers the Mark Ingram play, uh, third and forever, in Bills territory where he broke about five tackles, kept the drive alive, and Otis Anderson ended up scoring. And they always, they, everybody always talks about the Ingram play. And I'm sitting there, and I remember it like it was five minutes ago, and I'm sitting there, and the guy sitting next to me, it was third down, the third third play of the second half, and it was third and long, and they threw a swing pass to Megat, and Clifford Hicks had him in the backfield, and he stepped out of the tackle, and Megat broke, you know, broke the tackle, got the first down. And I looked at the guy next to me, I go, that play may have just won the game. And that nobody even remembers that play. They all remember the Ingram play. If they make that tackle, it goes three and out, and the Bills get the ball close to midfield to start the second half, they probably rolled them. You know, but it was like one play changed the whole game. Well, we'll see if that happens here in these divisional round matchups. And we start by taking a look at the first game here on Saturday. And by the way, for our listeners here, Brian previewed all four of these games for us over on our ATS YouTube page. Our view counts have been going up over there, a lot more subscribers. So head over to our ATS YouTube page, Check those videos out for some more thoughts here from Brian, but we'll go into a little bit more detail here on the show. And we start with that Rams and Packers game in the 4:30 time slot on Saturday, green Bay, of course, off the buy Rams off of beating the Seahawks where Jared Goff comes in and is kind of, you know, in some respects, sort of a hero for the Rams there in that game. Although the defense of course played very, very well, green Bay laying six and a half, most six and a halfs with some extra juice. There are some sevens out there as well. Total 45 and a half for this one up at Lambeau Field, Brian. Yeah, there's still 46s out there. And it, I would bet if you like the under, I do. I'd bet it now. I think even knowing uh, that it's Aaron Rodgers, the big question mark is Aaron Donald in the ribs. And, you know, 70% Aaron Donald's terrific. Um, but if he can be full speed here, and you get pressure up the middle on Rodgers. They've got to force a turnover or two. You're going to have Ramsey on Adams. Uh, you know, you got to make Green Bay work for it. The, the Rams can't get in a shootout with these guys. We got the question mark at quarterback. Akers has to run the ball. 
Uh, you know, you got the tight end that's emerged for the Packers. The Rams have to try to keep everything in front of them, no chunk plays, and and win the turnover battle. It, it's that simple. Um, I think the defense is good enough to slow them down. The weather doesn't look like it's going to be an issue, although we say that today, but you don't know 10 minutes in front of what the weather's going to be up in Lambeau, what it might end up being, but it doesn't appear. It looks like it's just going to be cold. Um, as of this minute, it doesn't look like there's precipitation. So I like the under. I think it's correlated. If you like the Rams to be part of this, it has to be low scoring. Uh, and I think that would be a safer play than taking the Rams plus six and a half as it's under seven now. Yeah. And you know, when you look at this one here, you talk about green Bay and they're coming off the buy. And I know I harped on this a lot last week with the fact that I liked Baltimore, you know, Baltimore was off the buy. They were at home, did not play well, did not cover, did not even win the game outright, but teams that are coming off of the buy in the divisional round, 10, five and one against the spread over the last four postseasons. Now, of course, we used to have all four games in the divisional round with a team coming off of the bye. Now it's only two games with only one bye week in each conference. But the bye really hasn't been a detriment here. I think to some teams it can be, to other teams it isn't. 10-5-1 against the spread the last four postseasons. So I don't really worry too much about the bye for Green Bay here. It's not like they you know, sat everybody in week 17. They actually went out there, had to win the game, played a great second half to do it so that they could secure that bye. Baltimore last year, they had two weeks off. They didn't play anybody in week 17, didn't play in the wild card round. I do think that that makes a difference here when we talk about handicapping the bye. For a lot of the same things you talked about, though, you know, the Rams have to win this game with defense. I mean, that just has to be the way that it is. They've won a lot of their games this season with the defense. They've got a stars and scrubs type of unit back there where the guys that are really good are awesome and the guys that aren't very good, well, they're able to ride the coattails of those elite players that they have. Is that good enough against Green Bay? Is that good enough to shut down Devontae Adams? Is that good enough to pressure Aaron Rodgers a little bit? I think that remains to be seen. I haven't really processed my thoughts fully on this game. I agree with a look at the under, because I don't think Goff has a lot of success in the cold weather, and the Rams' defense kind of speaks for itself. As far as the side goes, I don't really have anything all that strong as of yet. I'd slightly lean with the Rams because I think that they're a very good team. And I think six and a half is a lot of points, but I agree that I think the under is, you know, a pretty good starting point for this handicap. Last week I made a guarantee and it hit and it was nothing you could bet on, but I said, there will be a, a coach or a team that loses a playoff game. Not, not going by my mantra of 40 plus years. And sure enough, Frank Reich did it. I said a team will lose a game because somebody squanders their timeouts in the second half and the Colts burned two timeouts for no good reason. And it cost them at the end of the game. And if it's going to happen again this week, it will happen to the Rams because McVay is the absolute worst in the league at just throwing timeouts away. If the Rams are close in this game, you watch mock my words. If they're close and they need, they get the ball at the end. I bet you, you're going to be, they're going to be going down the field going, wish they had that timeout that he just threw away. I've watched this guy do this 16 weeks this year. One other thing that concerns me about this game, and, and maybe this will kind of point me towards a side play here, even though I lean Rams full game with the low scoring expectation and the bigger spread, Green Bay scored almost 19 points per game in the first half this year. 
they outscored the opposition by eight and a half points per game in the first half. Whereas the Rams actually got outscored on average in the first half of the game. So McVay makes good halftime adjustments. They're a very good second half team. Green Bay with the Matt LaFleur scripted plays with the second quarter success with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I do think Green Bay has a very good chance of covering the first half number. So maybe that's something you take a look at here. Again, the derivative and the live betting markets are, are a very good asset for you here in the NFL playoffs with very sharp numbers. You know, you're handicapping four games instead of 16. So there aren't a whole lot of edges to be had. So I do think Green Bay first half, you know, maybe something I'd be looking to take a piece of here. You can find three and a half with reasonable juice out there in the market, Brian. Well, if that's the case, then you should like Green Bay because I, the Rams in the first half of the season, those adjustments and you can come back on teams. Yes, not now. That this, if, if, the, if the Rams become one-dimensional, this game is over. If, if the Rams are behind, it's over. They have to play from the front. If the Rams are going to win this game, they got to get the lead. And that's that's been Green Bay's strength is to come out and jump on teams. But if you're making either Wolford or Goff one-dimensional, have a nice day. This game is over. All right, let's go to the late game here between Baltimore and Buffalo. Buffalo, two-point favorite pretty much across the market here. 50 the total for this one. And I got to say, I mean, you know, I think Brady and Breeze part three is pretty interesting. Obviously, I'm very interested to see what the Browns do. But I think it's pretty clear that this should be the best of the divisional round playoff games with Buffalo as a short favorite here against the Baltimore team that, you know, they got off to a slow start last week, but then they were clearly the better team for the last three quarters of that game. What do you think about the bills here in this one as the short favorite? Well, I got to be honest with you. You know, I I wanted Pittsburgh to win. I wanted Pittsburgh. uh, The bills already thumped them. uh, Thought they could beat Pittsburgh and let Baltimore take their shot at Kansas city. It didn't work out that way, so you get Baltimore now. Uh, the one thing I would say, and at first blush, yeah, you know, like, okay, well, okay, whatever. Well, listen, I'm starting to feel a lot better about this because, okay, good, give Baltimore full marks. They went up there and they beat Tennessee. Um, it, you know, really impressive defensive effort, holding Derrick Henry uh, to 40 yards, great. Well, the Bills' running game is suspect at best. You know, they've got to shut down Josh Allen. For the most part, nobody's been able to do that. And, oh, by the way, the more I'm thinking about it as we get closer to the game, Tennessee's defense is a sieve. And Baltimore only scored 20 points. The weather's going to be good. To me, if it's a shootout, I think it favors the Bills. So... And, and the other thing, you know, we talked about Baltimore at the end of the year. Who, who had they played? And it's a dangerous team, but it's, it's all about Lamar Jackson uh, running around making plays. But, again, Baltimore played Jacksonville, the Giants, the Bengals to get in. And then they beat Tennessee, and they, they deserve full marks for a great effort to contain Henry and the Tennessee offense. But the, that Tennessee defense is – susceptible to get lit up and they didn't do it now buffalo's defense got shredded with the running plays uh and and that's what the ravens that's going to be the threat there was a game that that these two teams played adam in december of 2018 which really isn't all that long ago and that was jackson's mvp year when they were dominating teams the bills lost the game at home 24 17 but that was one of the first games where somebody gave a blueprint on how to beat lamar jackson he only had 40 yards rushing in that game. So 
they'll spy him. My best guess is, you know, maybe a guy like Milano is kind of a spy on, on Lamar Jackson here. And if they can keep everything in front of them and not let him get the big plays, force him to be a quarterback from the pocket and the two most underrated safeties in this league, both of them are Pro Bowl caliber, and they always keep getting snubbed. But watch for Poyer or Hyde uh, to get a pick in this game, and they'll try to bait Jackson. And so the Bills' defense is going to have to make a play or two. But this Buffalo offense, they listen, Adam, they were lucky to win that game. I mean, Frank Reich should have kicked the field goal. Frank Reich went for two. They stopped him. Frank Reich burned two timeouts. Could have been a different ending if they could have used the middle of the field at the game and they squandered their timeouts. The the Colts had a really solid game plan. But sometimes you sit there and go, hey, you know what? You got to survive in advance. And the Bills won a game that they didn't play their best. And, you know, you always think you got to survive one along the way. Maybe that's the one the Bills survived. And, you know, these guys have been so good and they're only laying one and a half at home. Um, you know, although personally, I think the Bills play better on the road than they do at home. But they actually said the fans were impactful in that game. 6,700 fans. I got a buddy was at the game. He said there were more than 6,700 people there. But the noise was actually a factor. The players said it. They said, I mean, those people made a lot of noise. Maybe I'm comparing apples and lug nuts here, but there are a few things that kind of stand out to me about this game. One of them is I can sort of draw a parallel to Ohio State, Clemson, and Baltimore, Tennessee. Ohio State was the better team in that game against Clemson in the semifinal last year. They wind up losing that game, some questionable calls, all of that. Dabo gives them bulletin board material. The Buckeyes put everything into that Clemson game, absolutely everything into that game. And we saw how it kind of played out last night. I don't know if they would have beaten Alabama even playing their best game, but it was a difficult turnaround for Ohio State in that game. Now, maybe professionals have a little bit more poise and just have a little bit more of an understanding of what's going on. But you can tell by the ending of that game, the way that Baltimore handled that when they got that pick, they stopped the logo logo at midfield. Uh They put everything into that game. They were pissed off about last year. They were pissed off about this regular season meeting this year. They lost in overtime. And the way that Tennessee handled that, Baltimore wanted that game extremely badly. Now... They go from that game to play on the road again. And as you mentioned, offensively, they weren't super impressive against Tennessee. It was largely Lamar Jackson improvising in that game. And they go play a Buffalo team that, look, last week, all the pressure in the world was on Buffalo. You're in the playoffs trying to win for the first time in, what, 25 years? You know, they hadn't won a playoff game in 26 years. That was a spot where Buffalo had all the pressure on them. And Phillip Rivers, I'm not going to say the Colts were free-rolling necessarily, but they weren't nearly. They, they kind of were. They kind of were. They weren't nearly as tight. You know, they weren't a team playing not to lose like Buffalo wound up doing for large stretches of that game. I think the mindsets for both of these teams are very different this week. And I'm not saying it's a motivational edge or anything like that because all these teams are motivated in the playoffs. But it's simply to say that I think the mindset, the philosophy, the way this game is framed from both sides, I think favors the Bills. Because as you said, they got that win. Doesn't matter how matters how many and they got that win Baltimore exercised that playoff demon Lamar Jackson's first playoff win all of that I just think Buffalo is a better team here I think this number is short and I think the Bills do win and cover 
But one thing I would say, you know, the final score, what, 27-24. The anomaly in that game, and it's a football game, and these things happen, and the Bills overcame it. But the thing that happened in that game, Adam, in the first half, the Bills started at their own 10 every drive. The they field position really had them backed into a corner to the point where somehow they survived and got the lead at the half and then got the ball to start the third quarter and went down and scored again. But field position destroyed them in the first half. They won the game 27-24. But if they were starting drives from the 25 or the 30, the Bills probably were scoring 35 points in that game. The whole first half was was a protect the football in your own end of the field. It was an odd dynamic. So kind of a hidden nugget that was in that game that the Bills really couldn't run their offense, you know, for safety's sake in the first half. They did in the second half. They got the big lead. And then uh, for the first time in a long time, once they got the big lead, they let somebody come back at them again. But anyway, they both, Lamar Jackson, hey, he couldn't win a playoff game. He won a playoff game. Bills hadn't won forever. Hey, the Bills won. The, the one thing I would say, though, you know, and, Jim, and Jackson was great. I mean, that's what he is. He runs around and he makes these plays. But he's not beating you as a pocket quarterback. He's just not. And the problem is the Bills give up the chunk plays on the ground, and that, that's what's concerning. And their running game is suspect at best. Uh, you've got uh, basically a single Terry. The question is going to be, is it going to be – and one of these guys will have it, you know, a say in the matter for the Bills. If it's T.J. Yeldon – but it may be Antonio Williams. The kid's an undrafted rookie free agent from North Carolina. I didn't even know he was on the team, Adam. He showed up in the blowout against Miami, had 11 carries for 63 yards and two touchdowns. I'm like, who's this guy? I mean, he looked better than Singletary and Mosses. I've looked all year long, and I wonder if this kid actually shows up this Sunday. The last thing I'll mention about this game, somebody who I greatly respect in this space, uh, Drew Dinsick. People know him better as Whale Capper, does the Deep Dive podcast, and makes a lot of appearances and stuff. And one of his big things is to talk about scoreboard pressure and, you know, the pressure that's put on teams to kind of get out of what they want to do offensively. And Baltimore or Tennessee jumps out 10, nothing. And then that was it. Then all of a sudden it's a tie game. They don't really score again. For the most part, there was no scoreboard pressure put on Baltimore to change anything that they wanted to do. They didn't have to push Lamar Jackson to be a pocket passer. Buffalo can do that. You know, I'm surprised that Tennessee didn't do that because Tennessee's offense is outstanding. Buffalo's offense is outstanding as well. I think Buffalo has more success putting scoreboard pressure on Baltimore to the point where maybe Jackson does have to throw. Maybe you can drop seven, drop eight, and contain Jackson and keep him from getting out and getting those big 25, 30-yard runs. Maybe Buffalo has more success with that because they just watched Tennessee last week do exactly what you shouldn't do. So they can do the opposite now. And again, they have, you know, such a great passing game, so many weapons in that passing game. I think Baltimore, or Buffalo can put more scoreboard pressure on Baltimore, kind of take Lamar out of that element where he's comfortable. I think Buffalo does have success here in this game. So hey, the, the last thing, one quick thing, and I just wanted to say this, from a game managing perspective, McDermott's spectacular. He's really grown into this job managing the games and Harbaugh's, you know, an outstanding coach. I guess got to say this. It was one of the best timeouts in the history of the sport. McDermott won that game last week and then they got screwed Uh, on that play. There was a fumble. McDermott raced up and called timeout as, as the Colts were snapping the ball. And like, he just won the game because he forced the league to review it. 
And 98% of the people on this planet, save people that are walking around with a cane, said that was a fumble. And McDermott called the timeout that forced the league to review it. And you tell me how that was not a fumble. And all that would have been the most typical Buffalo thing, or it would be something would happen to Cleveland or Detroit, that, that, that Rivers would have got the field goal and the Colts would have won overtime when that play was without doubt a fumble at the end of the game. But McDermott was on top of it, called the timeout, forced them to review it. Who the idiot was that said that wasn't a fumble, I don't know, because that was a sin. And it's forgotten because the Bills won the game. But, you know, it, it ain't me whining about being a Bills fan. If you're a Rams fan or a Bucks fan, it could be you this week. How does the league not get replay right? I I have no idea. I don't. I mean, again, this is a league that makes billion-dollar decisions with human error spotting the football on basically every play that's completed. So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't get it. But speaking well, of it, on the on the field, that stuff happens. But it's it's the replay thing that is befuddling. How do you not stand there and say Pascal was down? Pascal gets up. His knee is off the ground. Two bills grab him. Balls ripped out. And he was moving forward. Five minutes earlier, Allen was going, getting pushed backwards, and he was still fighting, and he fumbled. I had no beef with that. He fumbled. That, that, this other one, he was fighting to go forward and fumbled. I, I, for the life of me, explain that to me. Yeah, I don't think I can. But speaking of impactful fumbles, the Cleveland Browns started their playoff oh game in a way I never thought imaginable. Pouncey airmails the snap over Big Ben. Browns cover it in the end zone for a touchdown. Jet out to a 28-0 lead, and of course, in true Cleveland fashion, it still couldn't be very easy, but the Browns do advance. They play the Kansas City Chiefs here, of course, coming off of the bye. Kansas City, a 10-point favorite in this game, total in this one of 56, and just in case people were wondering here, since 2002, only 11 games with a total of 55 or higher in the playoffs. Looks like we're ticketed for one here, Brian. What I would say here, yeah, that game was just incredible. Um, and then I don't know if it was a function of the Browns getting the big lead, taking their foot off the pedal and start working clock in the second quarter, and then they lost all the momentum. But Tomlin blew that game. You know, I know you're the analytics guy, but this these idiots – with the analytics and the card, when to go for two and not go. Well, you, you do that and you miss once. It up it uproots the whole game. But when he should have gone for two to make it 11, he kicked the extra point. I'm like, what is going on in this world? Like, when you're supposed to do something, they don't do it. When you're not supposed to do it, they do do it. Then on fourth and one, when the Browns collectively, there were 11 guys on the field wearing a diaper. And it's fourth and one, and they had all the momentum in the world, and he punted. That was the stupidest thing. If Pittsburgh went down and scored again, they could have come back and won that game. But it was a goofball game. And uh, translated to this week, the one thing I would say, Kansas City last year, Kansas City's burned people's money all year long uh, from an ATS perspective. But don't forget last year in the Super Bowl, they were behind. In their first game off the bye last year when they played Houston, they were down 21 nothing. Why? I don't know. Kansas City comes out of the gate slow. Uh, if I can get seven, there's six and a half out there. I'd be playing Cleveland plus seven in the first half. And then I don't know how you play anything but the over in this game. And maybe Cleveland is one of the few teams in the league 
that can play the goofy shootout and maybe get lucky and have a chance at the end of the game. But the Browns secondary, the way that thing got shredded in the second half, Mahomes had to be watching that game blowing into a paper bag from not passing out, waiting to get to it. On the upshot, the Browns should get Denzel Ward back this week, but, I mean, there are a lot of holes on that defense. They don't have Olivier Vernon anymore. Miles Garrett just, he hasn't been a significant factor, you know, since he came back from COVID. Part of this is because teams pay extra attention to him. Part of this is because they will run plays away from his side, all of that. But he just hasn't been the same factor, and he's he's probably not going to be a factor here against a guy as mobile as Patrick Mahomes. So, the Browns are going to have to find a way to cover. And, and I don't know how the hell they're going to do that. I, I don't know. Nobody can match up with Travis Kelsey. The Browns sure as hell can't. They can't match up with Tyreek. Maybe Denzel Ward can match up a little bit with Tyreek Hill, but Mahomes is just going to find somebody else. And it, it's probably going to be Kelsey who runs wild. I don't know how Kelsey doesn't go over all of his props here in this game. But the Cleveland offense is legit. And getting Stefanski back, I would expect a very strong game plan in the first half. I agree with you. Browns plus six and a half plus seven for the first half does make a lot of sense. Kansas City 31st in run defense DVOA that's over at Football Outsiders. You can run on this Kansas City defense. And I do think the Browns will have some measure of success doing that, assuming their offensive line is healthy. They need Batonio back off the COVID list and they need Conklin to be able to play. If those things happen for the Browns, They can hang within this 10, but I do like them more for the first half before Mahomes and the Chiefs probably wake up, probably flip the switch, all of that. I agree. I see no way in hell you can play the under here in this game. It's going to be a game where you should see a lot of big plays, a lot of third down conversions, all of that. I do think... Listen, to give you that ray of optimism, not not that you need it from me, but Cleveland has the better running game, and Cleveland can you know, compete in track meets. And, you know, there's some teams just aren't built to play a track meet. Cleveland's been involved in a bunch of track meets this year. So, you know, you, you're going to need a tipped pass and a pick. Um, you know, maybe the Kansas City Center will snap it into the stands. I, who You know, something stupid happens. But Cleveland is one of the few teams in the league that you'd say, well, you're a fool if you go in there and try to get involved in a track meet with the Chiefs. It's, the Browns, I think, can do it. You know, I mean, can, can be in there. And what you need to be is you need to be within 10 or a one-possession game somehow, you know, get into the final two, three minutes of the third quarter and all of a sudden make the Chiefs think about it. I, mean, I, I think the Browns have the weapons, and Landry was phenomenal. Listen, give full marks. You can talk about Stefanski till you're blue in the face. You know, give full marks to Alex Van Pelt, the game he called. And, you know, and even when they were in dire straits, I mean, they were a mess. Van Pelt remained aggressive. He did up in the late in the game. He didn't play to lose that game. He played to win the game. So Alex Van, P- Van Pelt deserves a world of credit for that win over Pittsburgh. And, and, you know, obviously I'm texting all my friends during the game and all that. And, and it speaks to the culture that Kevin Stefanski has created. And, and I've always said this, that teams adopt the mindset and the mentality of their head coaches. If they've got a fiery you know, super high octane, high strung head coach, the team plays that way. If they've got somebody who never gets rattled, the team plays that way. Kevin Stefanski does not get rattled. We've seen virtually no emotion from him in any of those clips of him on the sideline or whatever else. The Browns are just, 
they, they're consistent. You know, they're even keel for the most part. And that really helped them in that game against Pittsburgh, especially when things were kind of slipping away from them a little bit. As you said, they played to win. They didn't play not to lose. And, I mean, they got into prevent defense a little bit early in that game, earlier than I would have liked. But offensively, they kept going. And like you said, that's the way to beat Kansas City. You know, again, I'll draw another parallel to, to Alabama. Maybe it's just because it was, you know, last night. You don't beat Alabama holding them to 21 points or 28 points or something like that. You beat Alabama because you happen to outscore them. You beat Kansas City because you happen to outscore them. The Browns should have no interest in trying to contain Kansas City. It should be all about matching Kansas City's score for score and hoping you win the turnover battle. Exactly what you said. So I think you've got to play over in this game. I know it's a high total, fairly historically high. Like I said, only 12 playoff games, including this one, with a total of 55 or more since 2002. But you got to go over here because Stefanski's got to be smart enough to realize we have to score with this team because we ain't stopping this team. And that means being very efficient and aggressive on offense. This is a shootout. I'd be stunned if it's anything else. I would almost guarantee you, if you're into such things and you're watching it, that somewhere along the way, somebody's going to do the piece on this or the, the pregame package. But back-to-back games we're talking about here. And let's go down the road 10 years and let's see what happens. But you talk about that draft class. You know, Lamar Jackson was the MVP. Josh Allen's probably going to be the runner-up in the MVP this year. And Baker Mayfield was the first pick of that draft. Um, you talk about a, a you know a decade from now they're going to be talking about that draft class with Darnold and Josh Rosen left in the wake, but with Mayfield, Jackson, and Allen, um, we're talking about this quarterback draft class. I think for a long time. Well, and it's so ironic too because as we go to the next game here between Tampa Bay and New Orleans, Drew Brees said he's probably going to retire after this playoff run. Tom Brady is on the wrong side of forty. We know Aaron Rodgers is getting up there in years as well. Baker Mayfield is the oldest starting quarterback left in the AFC playoffs. And he's 25 in a few months. And here you've got a game with Breeze, who's on the verge of retirement, and Brady, who's what, 42. It's just, it's so fascinating to look at how these NFL playoffs have kind of come together here. And we do have the Saints in this final game on Sunday. Three-point favorite, 51 and a half. This feels like a very standard, easy-to-make line with division rivals and just a league average total. Well, and the thing you will hear this weekend, and this one's cliche, hard to beat the same team three times. We're going to hear that a bunch. Uh, The bottom line is the opener. I love the Saints in the opener. I just thought it was a bad spot for Tampa. Brady's still learning his team, and the Saints were sick of hearing about Tom Brady all summer long, so the, the Saints won the first game and covered but the, the second meeting was the shocking one where the Saints destroyed them and Brady threw three picks. Now, this is a different team with Brown, who is now a focal point of the offense, and that acquisition has certainly helped them. And you're thinking Brady and Breeze and indoors and low weather, and, and, everything, and I'm going under. You know, I'm, I'm just going contrarian, and I'm going under. Uh, you know, the Saints, the Bears confounded them. Breeze is everything he does is dink and dunk. Uh, this is a physical punch in the mouth kind of New Orleans team. They're not this, you think of them as this flashy, high octane thing. Everything's Dink and Dunk and Taysom Hill and Kamara. Uh, and if both of these teams can, can, if the Saints can contain the chunk plays, the over the top plays from Brady, I think both of these teams move the ball up and down the field between the 20s. But I think the defenses could stiffen and the kickers 
could be busy. So I'm going to go under in the game and sit back and enjoy. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd call it contrarian on the under because I, I do like the under. I know that right now this total's inched up a little bit. I think this is just kind of a move to try and add some more value before limits get increased and limits, limits generally increase. Well, you know anything, anything Brady, anything Brady, right? The general public, doesn't matter what you put up. Brady in the over, that's what they're going to bet. Right. Yeah. But I think the sharp side here is definitely the under. I think this is a total that will come down as you get some of those bigger limit bets in over the course of the week. And then certainly as we head on into the weekend as well, for a variety of different reasons, you know, I mean, New Orleans's defense is excellent. You know, Tampa Bay's defense was very good for the first two thirds, three quarters of the year. They stumbled a little bit down the stretch and the offense kind of picked them up, but I don't see Brady really stretching the field against this New Orleans defense. Breeze doesn't stretch the field anymore pretty much at all whatsoever. I think this is, as you said, a game with a lot of movement between the 20s, some field goals, some red zone opportunities that go by the wayside. I do think this is a lower scoring game here. I think that we will see this total come back down to 51, maybe even close slightly below that as we get deeper into the week, as more of that influential money comes in. I just don't see a high scoring game here. And you know, last week for New Orleans, a big reason why they won that game and did so convincingly, the Bears were one for 10 on third down. You know, the Saints almost doubled them up in the number of offensive plays that they ran. And the Saints still only had 5.1 yards per play, well below their season Buddy, average. If, so if the Tim's kid doesn't more. drop, the Tim's kid doesn't drop that gadget play, he doesn't drop that touchdown. I got news for you. The Bears could have won that game. The Bears should have been ahead at the half. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, and again, the thing for New Orleans here is that, I mean, they win with defense now. I know they've got Breeze and Kamara and Thomas and, you know, some of these big fantasy football types of personalities and players, but they win with defense. And I think that Sean Payton is very aware of that fact. Taysom Hill, I think he was in concussion protocol now, so maybe they don't have him here in this game. We'll have to kind of see how that plays out throughout the week, but I just, I don't see a lot of big plays here. I, I just really don't yeah. see a lot of explosiveness either way. So it's going to be a fun weekend. Good games. Good Definitely. games. Very fun weekend. And uh, also some golf to talk about here this weekend as well, which we'll talk about at the tail end of the show. But before we get to that, Brian, the NHL season starts here on Wednesday night, five games, triple header on NBC sports network. Uh, we'll take a look here at the two divisions that we haven't discussed as of yet. So far on previous shows, last week we talked about the North Division. Two weeks ago we talked about the Central Division. Let's start out west here in your neck of the woods. The Colorado Avalanche plus 150, Vegas plus 185, Blues plus 400. Pulling these numbers here from BetMGM Sportsbook. The fact of the matter really is here, Brian, that, you know, I just, I look at this West Division and and it's a three-horse race and the other teams are kind of fighting for that fourth playoff spot. Yeah, I don't think there's there's much to dissect here. It, it is a three-horse race. Uh, is it San Jose or Minnesota for the fourth spot in the division? You know, Arizona, it's a dysfunctional organization, young team. Um, maybe has a little something here. But, but winning this division, to me, is a big deal. Normally, I could care less. Get in. You know, an eight-seed can win the playoffs. But if you win this division... If you're Vegas and you win the division, that means Colorado and St. Louis got a butt heads in the first round. And St. Louis, I think, could regress a little bit. But you want to win this division and play the fourth seed. 
it, winning this division really does matter. If you're Colorado, you, know, you can avoid Vegas and St. Louis in the first one. Colorado's my pick to win the Cup. So I love this team. I think they'd have won the Cup last year. The injury bug bit them. That's, part, you know, so what? That's part of the game. Uh, but I just, I just love this Colorado team. They're a rocket sled on ice. Well, one question I have, though, you know, and we talked about this, the importance of every game, 56 games, all of them within the, in, within the division, all of these games critically important. Colorado plays this speed and skill game. And my thought is kind of at the outset of the season here, I'd almost rather back teams that kind of muck it up, kind of play a lot along the boards, you know, play a very physical game, something like that. Because I just don't know if those teams that play, you know, with breakneck speed and skill are going to be, you know, in rhythm early on in the year. Do you feel like that's a concern or consideration that you have? Don't sleep on the grid of, of uh, Colorado. I mean, Kadri is is a pest, and Calvert is a real X factor guy for them. And he he was one of the guys that was hurt in the, in the bubble that hurt them. I, I I'm not worried about their lack of grit. They, they've they've got enough of that. And Ian Cole's a big badass on the blue line. But you look at the speed they got on the blue line with McCarr and Gerard. McKinnon is ridiculous. Landis Gog also got hurt in the bubble. I, I, and I think they're extremely well coached. Um, I, I just, I think Colorado's got all the pieces to win it. Um, I, you know, I, I think to me, if they're healthy and that's, it's an if they're the team. Something else about this division too, that I was kind of thinking about a little bit is I feel like this is going to be a division where we see a lot of games go over the total. There's some very poor goaltending here, specifically for the teams that aren't very good. You know, I don't think Arizona's goaltending is very good. I definitely don't really like where Jonathan Quick is at this stage of his career for the Kings. You know, the Sharks, Martin Jones is not good. They haven't really found that guy to carry them since he fell off the face of the earth. You know, Minnesota's become a little bit more of an offensive team here of late. I feel like there could be quite a bit of offense on a game-by-game basis in this division. Yeah, a lot. And, and St. Louis will be interesting. You see that they, they pick up Tory Krug. They lose Petrangelo, they get Krug. Um, and we'll see, you know, if there's a transition stage for St. Louis out of the gate. Vegas is – Got a you know a stacked team with two good goalies. How long that lasts? If they move Flurry, they they are going to go with a one and one A. I think they're going to rotate Flurry and Leonard. Uh, but I, I watch for Vegas. They can't help themselves at the trade deadline. They're always in on the big fish, always. So they just waived Nick Holden, and they're going with two young defensemen with Hagen White Cloud on the blue line. And and then if they make a move down the road to clear some cap space, it's because they're going to be again in on the big fish at the deadline. That's always something you got to consider with Vegas that they'll as good as they are, at least to start, they'll be doing something to get even better when the deadline hits. So we go from a three horse race in the West division here to the absolutely loaded East division. I mean, this is the Metro plus Buffalo and Boston Boston, of course, the best regular season team in the NHL last year. They went into the bubble kind of pissed off that they had to play the round robin and all that. Then they rallied to play well against Carolina before getting knocked out uh, in that second round. But the Bruins are the plus 250 favorite here. And when you look at the BetMGM numbers, Lightning plus 135, Maple Leafs plus 135, Avalanche plus 150, Boston at plus 250 tells you something right away 
about the strength of this division. Flyers plus 350, Penguins 450, Capitals 5 to 1, Islanders 6 to 1, Rangers 8 to 1, Buffalo at 14, the Devils at 20. Devils, of course, with questions in net now. Corey Crawford kind of abruptly retiring for them. Man, this division is absolutely loaded, Brian. It is. And of the studs that are coming back, I'd probably to Washington. You know, now the goaltending is going to be sketchy there, but Ovechkin could light the lamp. Uh, some pretty solid pieces. The Bruins, sometimes they don't wow you. They just win. I think they're top heavy. I think the loss of uh, Krug and Chara, watching Boston on the blue line is going to be interesting. And then, you know, the Halak's a good goalie, but then what are you going to get out of Rask? Yeah, but Boston just wins and wins and wins. I think Pittsburgh's a little long in the tooth. I think the Flyers are interesting, you know, and Hart's a great goalie at home. He was a little iffy on the road. The Flyers are interesting. Islanders are a a thorn. Rangers are a young team heading the right way. The Devils got work to do. Lindy Ruff takes over there. Uh, And I think the Sabres, the goaltending is easy to poke holes at with Olmark and Hutton. But this is a team that I think, is going to be really entertaining and put a lot of goals on the board. They better be hanging sixes and six and a halves for the Sabres early. Hall, Eichel, they got to get Skinner off the schneid, but they had a kid like Olison last year was on pace for 30. There's a, and Dylan Cousins, who was the top player for Canada in the World Juniors, makes the line. I think the Sabres are going to score a lot of goals this year. And the goalies are, you know, kind of a question mark. I think Buffalo's a dead over team, but I think they're I think they're actually gonna be right there at the end in terms of kicking the door down, you know, to, to crack the top four. Um, but it is to me, it's the it's I don't think it's even close. I think it's the best division. We'll talk more about some individual betting strategies and, and things of that sort next week, but there is one question I wanted to ask you about. It's a question that a, a listener and a friend of mine, Ryan, asked me uh through DM on Twitter about three point games. You know, because a lot of times when a game is close, you know, in the last five minutes of the third period, something like that, the teams kind of go into a shell. They protect that point. They want to go ahead and get that game to overtime. Well, now you're playing all of these division games. You're playing against teams that you're going to be jockeying for playoff position with all year long. What do you think about those games where, you know, they are close late? I mean, are we going to see a lot of teams protect that point? Do you think we'll see teams maybe try to play a little bit more aggressively to try and get the two regulation points? How do you think that's going to kind of play out? If I had to lean one way, I think it's a great question. I would lean towards the protecting because you're, you're only playing teams in your division. You know, it's not like Columbus is playing Vancouver. You know, I mean, if you, you lose a four point game, you know, you're dropping in the standings in the division and you're dropping standings to a team you're directly competing with. So yeah, a two, two game in the third period, I think could come very conservative in nature to protect the point. Then you go for it in overtime, but you're right. I mean, games that tie games last five, six minutes could be very pedestrian dump and chase short shifts, do nothing stupid, protect the point. That's a very good point. Um, but because every game is a division game. Uh, the the betting angle thing, we can sit here all day and go, you know, the, when you're talking back-to-back nights or back-to-back games, at the very least, you know, the, the team loses the first game of a series, you're getting their, next, your, their best shot in the next game. 
and you could go in there with a and, and the team that wins the first game may throw the back out backup out there and play with house money in the second game and the other team's got to come back with their starter then you come back with the physical nature of this and the bad blood and the angst that builds up this this is going to be it's a goofy thing it's a 56 game sprint if you can call it that uh, but it, it's just chalk full of new things that we're going to have to take into account and i think you start watching and i think be on the front line of trends that are starting to develop and that's figuring it out you know after five, six games, you figure out a trend and get on the front end of it. Um, you know, generally speaking, like overs in the first period, there's a real cool betting market that's out there now. And you, you kind of look for it where, hey, when it's nothing, nothing, you know, somebody's got to go for it. Somebody's got to get the lead. So teams kind of go for it early in the games. But when you get the bad blood and the angst and the physical nature of the game building up, the overs in the first half may not be the uh, – you know, the lightning bolt that it's been in recent years. So things are going to change. It's going to be different. Uh, you have to be adaptable here. Well, we'll have, uh, what, about five days worth of data to talk about on next Tuesday's show and kind of get some more thoughts here on daily game-by-game betting in the NHL. But, Brian, before I let you go, I want to head out to Hawaii, which I wish all of us could do now and enjoy some sunshine and some warmth. This is the Sony Open in Hawaii. We're on Oahu now at Honolulu, uh, the Wailai Gol- or Country Club is where this one is. And you've got 30 players that stuck around after the Tournament of Champions last week, 137 players, I believe, in this field overall. And a lot of the guys that are holdovers from last week are the short prices. Webb Simpson, the favorite at DraftKings, 11-1. to Harris English, last week's winner, 13. Berger, Morikawa, 15. Sungjae Im, 18.50. Matsuyama, 22. Answer, 25. Runner-up, Joaquin Neiman, 28. Some of the guys in the 30s that played last week, Kisner, Cam Smith, Ryan Palmer. But, Brian, as I looked at this one, I'm curious to see what your strategy is. I actually found some long shot prices I like yep. this week. Yep. Oh, I'm with you. And you do look at the guys that have a tournament under their belt, but you do get guys that are ready to rock and roll off the shelf, and, and that collides every year here. And it's kind of a mixed bag of guys that you know played the first week and carry that momentum. Some guys shake off the rust the first week. It's not necessarily the guys that were in contention in the first week. I got, I would look – see, wind is a thing in Hawaii too. I'm always looking for wind players over there. I would think uh, to start and then I'll reload on Friday night. I mean, my burger was my guy last week, and he was right there, and he spit the bit in the final round. Um, I, I would look at Mark Leishman, who I did play last week, and he was in contention, faltered on the weekend. But Leishman at 50-1 to one, shakes the rust off. I think it's a guy who can play well here. In, in the, I'll go with him at 50. Zach Johnson is a good wind player. By the way, Leishman and Zach Johnson were in a playoff at the Windy British Open a few years back. And Johnson's won here before. Low ball flight plays a draw. It's not a bomber's course. Zach Johnson can contend here if he rolls the rock good. So I look at a guy like Zach Johnson. And my bomb... Now, I've been looking it up, and I can't find out. I knew this for a fact several years ago. Uh, I had Rory Sabatini in the uh, tournament at Kapalua, and he lost by a shot, had him at 100-1, to because he lives. He lived, at least lived in the past, lived in Hawaii, and he's played this course a boatload. I've just looked uh, looking up on PGA Tour.com last year. 
uh, what round was it? Sabatini was one shot off the lead in the early stages. He plays well here. I hate the yellow golf ball, lose the yellow golf ball. But uh, Sabatini, for many years, lived in Hawaii, and, and he plays well on this course. So there's my three. 40, 50, and 100. That's my starting point, and then we'll watch the first two rounds and reload. Now, as I was doing my research for this, I wrote up previews for ATS.io as well as bangthebook.com. I went to datagolf.com, and they have a course profile, a course fit tool, basically, looking at comparable courses for you know these PGA Tour events. Wiley Country Club, as you mentioned, it's much shorter than Kapalua, a lot narrower. This is about hitting fairways, and it's about approach shots, which you know a lot of golf courses are to some degree, but this is one that doesn't necessarily help the Bombers. There are two courses that have a lot of correlation with Wiley. One is Harbortown, where the RBC Heritage is, where Webb Simpson has won, so he's a deserving favorite this week. The other one is actually Colonial. Who's a member at Colonial? Ryan Palmer. Ryan Palmer is 33-1 to this week, top five finish last week. I think he's a good look here. He's the shortest price I like at that 33-1 to range. But then I also kind of carried over that course correlation a little bit. Brandon Grace, who was actually 150-1 to at DraftKings earlier in the week, I think he's a good look here. He's only played this event once, finished 13th, played well across the pond in Abu Dhabi, but he's previously won the RBC Heritage at Harbortown. So there's a correlation there. He was top 20 at Colonial uh, last year. So he's a guy I'm looking at. Another guy I like here who's you know got another pretty big price is a guy like C.T. Pan. He won the RBC Heritage two years ago, and I found him at 175-1 to at DraftKings earlier in the week. So that's a guy that I like. With that course correlation, fits the profile, had a top five at Colonial. So some big-time bomb shots here with guys like Brandon Grace, and CT Pan. And, you know, again, the big thing for me here about this tournament, like you always talk about, you know, maybe you get a guy like a Webb Simpson, three, four shots off the pace on Saturday, and all of a sudden he's 20 or 25 to one. That's a much better time to get in than 11. So I'm taking some long shots here, even though this is a good field, uh, Palmer, Pan, and then Brandon Grace, the three that I really like here this week. As far as other guys with success at this event, Matt Kuchar's very good. He's won here, been a runner-up here. He's 45-1. to uh, Leishman I like as well, a guy that you mentioned. So you know, a lot of guys that play well here play this event regularly, but I was looking at the course fit relative to some comparable courses, and that's where I came up with guys like Grace and guys like C.T. Pan. Yeah, oh, no, you can make a case for so many. Everything you said about all those guys are spot on. Uh, I, I think – Again, starting a new a new golf season, I would just give you the overview that, you know, unless you're all in on a guy that's 15 to 1, you know, it, it's a golf tournament. It's hard to win. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I think you're nuts in the depth of the PGA Tour. I think you're nuts to play anybody less than 40, 50 to 1 to start. Sprinkle with a couple of guys. Hopefully you're breathing and you're alive. And then you just ride it out. Or you come back with a quality player that's four or five back, got a bad break, you know, hit one bad shot that hit a car path and went out of bounds. Other than that, the guy played lights out. He's five shots back going in on Friday and Saturday's moving day, and you're getting a world-class player, uh, and you're getting a bigger price on him on Friday night than you would before the start of the tournament. He gets right back in it on Saturday. I think there's a defined betting approach and money management aspect of being successful at golf, and that's that's go long early and reload Friday. 
And of course, too, you know, yeah, you, you throw some darts around on the outright winners, but also, you know, you've got matchups, you've got props, you've got top 20, top 30, make or miss the cut, lots of different ways to attack these golf tournaments. So a lot of the guys that Brian and I discussed, maybe they don't win, but maybe they hit, you know, a top 10 at 10 or 11 to one, or they finish in the top 20 at five to one, or, you know, win a matchup, something like that. No, that's a great point. And then to your point, Brian Palmer, all the stuff you said is great, except you play Ryan Palmer in matchups on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you fade Ryan Palmer on Sunday. He just can't close. He closed. He closes the deal when he's got a partner. He, you know, you know, in the in the team thing, he's terrific. But I mean, you could have set your clock to Sunday. He would he'd be out there hovering around, but he can't kick the door down on Sunday. But he he's he's lethal in matchups Friday, Saturday. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours, man? All right, boy. Getting weird. (laughs) My Twitter, at Brian Blessing. We'll try to put most everything out there. Sportsbook Radio, AM 1400 KSHP. KSHP KSHP.com, there's a listen live function. That's for the noon show. We've added an hour, and we're on the Sports Group Radio Network in Sirius Channel 204, 2 to 4 Eastern, 11 to 1 Pacific on Sirius 204. Mr. Burke will be on with us in our first hour today at 2 Eastern, uh, along with Stevie Slapshot. So the Sirius 204 thing, you know, we're early in the early in the game there, but a whole new audience, and we're excited about that. And Vegas Hockey Hotline, if you're a hockey fan, uh, we got great guests from the hockey world. Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period uh, yesterday. Uh, Pat Micheletti's joining us from Minnesota tomorrow. Um, the, we're ready to start a brand new hockey season. If you're a hockey fan, you'll love the hockey show. I mean, it's just, it's just fun hockey talk with a lot of good betting angles. Definitely going to be great. Looking forward to joining you here uh, in about an hour and a half or so. But yes, always sir. great to chat with Brian Blessing, again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. And make sure you check out his videos over on our ATS YouTube page. Brian, thank you so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, bud. Thanks, Adam. Always a pleasure. There you go. There's Brian Blessing. Once again, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing, the best way to find out everything that he's doing. Coming up on our Wednesday edition of the show, a new guest will join us, Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. He's got a great podcast and a great website over there. Longtime listener of Bang the Book Radio and now ATS Radio. He'll join me to talk some college hoops with a focus a little bit on the Big Ten for that Wednesday show. Brad Powers joins me Thursday to talk NFL for the divisional round. And then Friday, a special guest that I'm still working to narrow down, but we'll have a full week of very strong shows here on ATS Radio. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.